My cranberry juice is gone now. Quamberry. Now, that breakfast is technically over. <laughs> breakfast? So you've been eating breakfast for the past seven hours? No, no, no. I just had breakfast. That's like me eating breakfast at 3.30. Yeah? Jeez, dude. Uh, it is 8.30 on a Monday night. Labor day. at night. Labor day. And I just had two cheeseburgers and a cranberry juice and called it breakfast. <laughs> but now the breakfast is over. <sighs> Damn. Damn, you just rimmed that thing really good. It was only half the rim. It squirted everywhere. That's a strong taste. Yep. I don't mind it. Strong. So. That one's pretty good, too. It gets worse. It's weird. It's like their most bland one, but it's also the one that's available everywhere. Hmm. All right. Welcome back to Dime Gaming Bros. Happy hour. No. Not happier. The other one. The no, regular it's, episode. It's just late at night. All right. <laughs> We're already drinking. We started happy hour early again. I think this is what we did last episode, too. We Yeah. <clears throat> I have a feeling this might end up happening more often because we're going to start <laughs> recording everything at night now. Right. Whoopsies. We're funnier this way. Happy hour turns into a sloshy hour. I agree. Okay. Sloppy seconds. <laughs> That's kind of what it already is, honestly, is like, let's rehash what we were already talking about with more, like, incest jokes and cool. booze. So it tends to... It, it, we should relabel it. It, it, it. We now have sloppy seconds. Sloppy seconds instead of happy hour. Yeah. Just don't even bother trying to make it sound professional anymore. Everybody knows. It's true. Welcome back. Uh, I am Jacob. He is Spencer. We are here to talk about gaming... And how we spent the last month-ish gaming. Gaming. And uh, how other people gamed while they were gaming. You're stalling. Yeah. This is a rough review for me. Uh, I was supposed to do... Uh, the Return of the Obra Din. And I had one play session and figured out I'm not smart enough for puzzle games. It happens. So in the meantime, I was playing uh, playing uh, my Switch uh, on lunch at work. And I played all of this game called... This game. You played Splatoon, I bet. It's a very long title. That's why I got to Google it. Bioshock Infinite 2 Electric Boogaloo. Super Mario 3D World and Bowser's Fury. Oh, it's that weird two-pack thing. Yes, the weird two-pack thing. But it doesn't have Tupac in it. Rest in peace. <laughs> Imagine if he did the soundtrack for that. <laughs> that would be insane. I would, I would then be incentivized to play a fucking Nintendo game. Right. Well, that leads me into my review. Uh... This is the Mario game responsible for turning him into a furry. He has a cat suit with with the, the freaking neck the bracelet thing, the girdle on his neck. Collar? Yeah. 
There you and, go. And uh, some people will say, no, actually, you're stupid. It was Super Mario 3 that turned him into a furry because he had the raccoon suit. Raccoons are okay. They're cool. Cat suits are not acceptable. You don't see furries walking around in a raccoon suit. You see them walking around in a cat suit. That's the difference. Anything I say is going to out my power level, so I'm just going <laughs> to not touch that. You're telling me you've seen a guy walking around in a raccoon suit? I mean, I've seen plenty of furries in my lifetime. And they were cats and dogs, weren't they? Mostly. Mm-hmm. I feel like... My I feel point like, is proven. I feel like if one would be a raccoon, that would be slightly less cringe. Because everyone wants to be a raccoon anyways. Because we're all like, I'm tired. I eat garbage. I have depression. Right? Eh. Which I is true. Like you don't operate at night. I sleep during the day. You do. Trash Panda. Yes. He got him. Which, which raccoon you rocking with? Uh, the Sly Cooper one. I like the one with the big dumpy. <laughs> of course you do. They all have big dumpies. It's so weird. <laughs> Just like pear-shaped. <laughs> um, oh, that's something I... I, I um, da, 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 da. Bubbles. Da, 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 da. Psychopath. Ivan, the alcoholic. Hold, please. There are technically 12 levels in this game. 12 uh, worlds. Imagine pretty much any Super Mario game. You've got world one, level one. There's 12 worlds technically in this game. I made it to nine. (laughs) Because there's this super cool life system where each death takes away a life and uh, you gotta stockpile up the lives otherwise it resets like all the cool bonuses that are in the world and you have to go farm lives to get over the spot that you're stuck on so it didn't completely wipe my save file which would have really caused some hate crimes but it did put me uh, I went all the way down to zero and it gave me like five freebies and said go farm and I said mm, fuck you so um, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's, uh, all the normal level environments that you can imagine that you've seen in every Mario game. There's the ice level, there's the green level, there's the fire level, there's, uh, there's, uh, some water levels. There's this cool dinosaur guy that Mario likes to ride on, like, down, um, a whitewater rapid style level. And those were kind of cool. There's a couple of those sprinkled in. Um... There are three stars in every level and a stamp and uh, you have the ability to reach the top of the flagpole at the end of every level. So there's three things that completionists have to do in order to get 100% and uh, I had a lot of fun going back to old levels that had previously kicked my ass and try to hunt down like the stamp thing or try to get 100%. Uh, it's baked into the game. If you have the, the furry suit on, you can grab onto the flagpole and climb up to the top, which is a pretty cool power. Uh, honestly, the cat suit was OP through the whole thing. I was trying to have other suits and the game like kind of forces you to be like, nope, you need the, the furry suit for this level. It's built for that. 
And, um... You know what else is built for the fursuit? I don't want to know. Your asshole. Continue. You are wrong. My ass is built for the cat suit. Um, what else? Oh, this game has, um, the ability to have split, no, same screen co-op, which was kind of weird. I didn't try it, but you can have up to four people running around collecting stuff and things. Um, there were twice, I think, that you had to be a certain character to press the button to get the thing. Um, and that was kind of lame, I thought, because I was just running the whole thing as Mario. Uh, each different character, uh, Mario, Luigi, Toad, and Peach, I think, um, have, like, different running animations and, like, different, uh, double jumps or, like, a couple of tiny little things like that. Um, so I was just used to how Mario worked, that's what I was running with, um, but to get, like, the last secret of the level to hit the end and be like, oh, yeah, I got to change over to freaking Toad because I have that button to press. Um, whatever, I guess. Um... Can you explain the weird two-pack thing to me? Yes. So, once... I think this is a re-release. So, uh, there were six levels. And I hit the end of the sixth level, and it was like, wow, congratulations, you beat the game, roll credits. Oh, by the way, that's only half the game. And I guess that's a tradition in Mario games, because I remember hitting the end of Odyssey and being like, that's it? I spent the money for this and got rid of it. And now that I think about it, there was that level at the end that I was running around in afterwards that was like really big, and I, I guess there was more to that. But uh, yeah, I guess it's a running tradition of like, there's half the game hidden behind the credits in a Mario game. I don't huh. know. Weird. So is it like a, was it originally a DLC thing? I'm or getting there. What? <clears throat> okay. um, finished the six worlds, saw the credits, tried making my way through, made it another quarter of the game through. Said, okay, I'm done. I'm not farming for lives anymore. Went back to the main menu, and then you can just move right over to Bowser's Fury like it's a separate game. This one is kind of like a really huge level from Mario Super Mario Odyssey or whatever that last one is. It's just an open world thing. Bowser is drowned in evil goo and goes evil. And Bowser Jr. says, actually, I don't like my dad and I need your help to kick his ass. So Mario has to run around and it's like, um, if you were to make this in a level editor, you would start with a giant square of water. It's a whole bunch of islands that are connected and you ride the little dinosaur guy to get to the different islands and it goes all the way around in a circle and then I guess eventually at the end, there's something right in the middle because that's where Bowser and all his evil goo is sitting. Um, you get hurt when you touch the black evil goo, so you gotta do the levels that are unlocked. And as you progress and collect more, I think there are suns, um, golden suns, uh, it unlocks more and more islands around the, the map. So each island had I think six or seven suns that you could collect. 
there was like the initial one and it turns on the lighthouse at the end and the lighthouse goes and then you could like run it again and this time try to collect all the red coins or or uh, there are some speed challenges like run this route and collect all the blue coins as within the time limit or like different things like that on the same island. It was really big. I kept getting lost. I got about halfway through Bowser's Fury and it, it, I kind of ran out of like, I had done all of the islands that I had and done like a lot of the challenges. There was always like that, that weird one that was sticking out. Like I can't figure this out. I'm not good enough gamer. Um, but yeah, I was like trying to hit the last island that unlocked and I just kept couldn't find it. I kept going in circles. It was like, yeah, no, what? <laughs> huh. um, so yeah, it was, I, I don't remember. I want to say it was unreleased DLC. It might have been released. I can find out for you during your review. Music is fun. The voice acting is fun. Mario go woo. Yep. Uh, oh, uh, in Bowser's Fury, there was this really weird mechanic, I guess. You could call it a day-night cycle, I guess, where every once in a while, Bowser gets pissed off, and he turns the sky to night, and he's uh, just freaking blowing fire up your ass, and you gotta hide from the fire, or you gotta ring the bell to become the giant cat that is... It, it turns it into, like, Godzilla versus King Kong, but it's Bowser versus Mario the Furry guy. And, uh, yeah. The biggest thing from this was that there are these magic cubes hidden all over the place that you have to, like, hide behind and get Bowser to blow his fire breath up your ass, but instead it melts these magic blocks. And you can't have him do that in the daytime when you're running around safe. Uh, I just found it kind of annoying that he kept getting pissed off because it would interrupt what I was trying to do in collecting suns and it'd be like, oh, now I have to sit here and hide from the bad guy while I'm like almost done getting this last thing. Like, of course, figures. <laughs> I don't know. It was kind of annoying. That's kind of all I got. Um... What's your playtime look like? Ooh, I would say a solid 12 hours. For both portions? Yeah, for all of it. I don't know. You could give or take a couple of hours. I'd say probably 12 to 16 hours. And again, that's not everything. That's about three quarters of the way through the OG game and about half-ish through Bowser's Fury, which sounds pretty unimpressive, but it was a long time of just like, Trying to grind everything. Uh, I was kind of wondering if, on the OG game, if there... Every level has the flag on the corner of it. It's kind of like 2.5D looking down on the world, uh, the, the map for all the levels. And uh, it shows the flagpole. Um, it's a red flag, playing as Mario, if you didn't get all the way to the tippity top and it's a golden flag 
uh, if you did get all the way to the tippity top. So I tried a couple of times with like a different characters to see if it would give me a flag for each character, like running through and completing it that way, and it didn't. I don't know if there's any like reward for doing that at the end of the game, I would imagine, but there was no indicator saying that I had done every level with every character. Hmm. It would just change that flag to whoever I ran the level with last. Right. Price? I think that's really it. I'm pretty sure I got this for 45 bucks. Um, obviously Mario titles and just Nintendo exclusive titles pretty much don't come down in price. They're always 60 bucks. So it's kind of hard to suggest it for a single dude that's like my age, just an adult, trying to play some Mario. So I would personally want like a, a little bit more of a discount because $45 for 12 to 16 hours is a little steep. But if you got kids and especially plural, they can all play as all the Mario characters and run around and cause craziness in, in this game. I can see how that would be a tons of fun. Um, it'd be much easier to suggest this for that scenario, but I mean, I was playing this at work and it's fun just having something at work that isn't a mobile game. So that's fair. Are you going to be going back and completing anything further? No, I'm pretty much done. I'm going to sell it back to GameStop and try to get more money out of it. <laughs> Understandable. Try to support my bad habits. So we watched the 2018 Tomb Raider movie starring Alicia Vikander, a reboot, remake, reimagining of the first game of the reboot trilogy from, what, 2013? That's what I was going to guess. Uh, as well as a, a reboot, me reimagining whatever, of the two uh, movies starring, uh, what's her name? Angelina Jolie from the early 2000s. What? You remembered the name. I gave you head pets. Honestly, I've never really been into Angelina Jolie. She's had some really good performances, but this yeah. whole, like, she's the most stunning woman everything is a nah. bit weird. Yeah. Um, same thing for uh, Mr. Tom Brady's wife. Mr. Tom Brady's wife. The literal model with nothing else going for her? Yeah. Mr. Tom Brady's ex-wife, actually. Whatever. Yeah. It's like, uh, wow, model. Yeah. Uh, so this movie for me i think is near the top of like video game movies pretty much almost by default because <laughs> it's fine there's nothing that's atrocious about it it's not cringe inducing or anything but it's also really not breaking new ground and does not take advantage of either it's casting to the full extent or even the source material terribly well yeah it's it's watchable but it's not gripping i have a hard time remembering the ending especially because it's like i've just i'm watching it to finish the movie at that point it's not that i'm really invested in anything yeah yeah for sure the third act does especially digress a little bit into like green screen effects which are the roughest part of the movie I which is think. too bad because i like the mystical Ooh, is it a witch or a, a god that's pissed off and gonna kill everybody or is it just a well-crafted tomb <gasps> oh i don't know i agree and that's one of the reasons why the one thing in the movie that i do think sucks ass is turning the ending into like a plague not like a plague in theory i like the whole actually maybe it's just an illness thing 
that takes people over very quickly. Yeah. I don't like that they come back from the dead like zombies. It's fucking stupid. Like, the reboot trilogy That's has a That's what they lot. do in the games, though. But it's a fucking <clears throat> video game. And, like, they have more justifying mechanisms in those games, especially the 2013 one, which has I a very... I say, especially Uncharted. <laughs> Basically. Um, I, I just... I, I'm not a big fan of that change. Um, Alicia Vikander is very, very good in this role. Um, even when the stunts are covered by a lot of fake CG objects and stuff, I think she does a lot of the stunt work and the wire work, which I think all looks pretty solid. Yep. Strong commitment to the bit and so on. Um, the rest of the performances are very bland. Like, really bland. It's just a bunch of nothing burgers. The music is pretty bland. I was gonna argue not, actually. Whoa. It's not incredible. It's definitely not Junkie XL's best work, but it's not bad. It's. I, I don't remember any Sting in particular. That's fair, I guess. There's, you know, it's, it's better than his work on Sonic. Those are easily his worst pieces ever. Those two movies' soundtracks suck ass. <laughs> you gotta make a paycheck sometimes, though. You know, it's gonna happen. Sonic. Sonic. Um, I think the movie just kind of gets worse. Like as yeah. the runtime goes on, the beginning is weird and odd and starts off in, a, in an odd place. But like, there's real sets and real mm. actors and fun but, stuff like that. But, but but what if we put a foxtail on Alicia Vikander's ass? I kill it on the bike. Uh, it's just always framed behind mm-hmm. her ass. Uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just it starts off solid, and then it's just as it goes along, the amount of sets and the amount of set dressing drastically reduces. Yeah, which is weird. I mean, kind of yeah. feels like they were running out of money, which is really weird because I highly doubt they like made it chronologically. But like, especially the second act is like this was made in one three hundred foot by three hundred foot like square of jungle that they had to reframe mm-hmm. from different angles and like <clears throat> low so you couldn't see over the hill. Or almost like they constructed it on it on like a soundstage, which is really weird. Yeah, just not a big fan of that. Um, the lighting is fine when it's not like a fully CG environment. I'll give it that. You can definitely tell when it is a CG environment, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some pretty rough green screening in there. Um, there's a couple of scenes that I do think are very well done, or not necessarily well translated, but, like, her first kill is, like, still probably the best scene in the movie, and mm. it's one of the best parts in the game. There's obviously the dissonance between, holy cow, killing one person was so hard and painful, and then the next moment is just, yeah! Fucking murder machine, but that's how video games work, so I'll I'll buy into it, it's fine. That's really all there is to this I kind of wish we could get a sequel, just to see if it was, like, a one-bed time kind of deal or if there's something chronic i agree um i also think if they're going if they were going to continue with vague ish recreations of the reboot trilogy that could have worked as well because it would have spiced up the scenery a lot skip straight to the third one (laughs) i was gonna say do all the snowy shit in the second one so then you can go back to the jungle and make the jungle way better so it has a strong contrast ironic because the third game is the worst one yep um but the story was cool it was, it was solid. Um, yeah, it's really... It, it's not painful. It's a little overly long. It gets a bit meandering, but, mm-hmm. you know, cut 10, 15 minutes out of the edit. It's a little better. It's... it's Yeah. I rented it for four bucks. Yeah. Is there anything comparable that comes to mind for you that's also in this echelon of... It's all right. Ooh... That's a good question. Because, like, I would consider this, like, a very mediocre movie, but, like, actually mediocre. Not like, oh, it's mid. Like, this is the middle of the road. 
and most video game movies are abysmal. This got three and a half stars on... Wow. On... Letterboxd. Yes, thank you. That's a 7 out of 10, dude. That's high. <clears throat> well, it's my most common rating. Um, five movies down is Pokemon Detective Pikachu at 3.5 stars. Yeah. And then five movies up is the new Dungeons & Dragons at 3.5 stars. Uh, yeah, okay, I can see that. That's fair. Um, I wouldn't necessarily... Put D and D in the same field of stuff, but that's that's fair. I you know it squares off between those two. Mm-hmm. That's solid. That's solid. Apparently, did you know that? Uh, but did you know? <laughs> I love that effect that he does. It's very funny. There's a recent TV show that came out with its first season that is getting a decent enough reception. It's based on a video game series, and I cannot remember its its name to save my life. Twisted Metal. Thank you. You're That's welcome. what we're going to talk about next month. Yes. So, hopefully that goes well. Clowns and stuff. Peacock. I agree. Pisscock. Also speaking of Pisscock, from Kotaku.com. Oh. Dear reader, I hope you're in the mood to possibly suss out artificial humans from real ones, because there's a new Blade Runner game on the way from Annapurna Interactive. Blade Runner 2033 Labyrinth will be the first game in the series since 1997's Blade Runner on PC, and will, it will also be Annapurna Interactive's first game developed in-house. Annapurna Interactive held its 2023 showcase where it announced an upcoming game set in the cyberpunk world of Blade Runner. The 1982 film adaptation of the Philip K. Dick novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? The last time the cyberpunk noir universe received the video game treatment was in 1997 with a point-and-click adventure from Westwood that resurfaced with a GOG re-release in 2019. Let's not talk about its disastrous 2022 remake. There aren't a whole lot of details about the new Blade Runner game just yet, but today's teaser trailer does a pretty good job of nailing those classic vibes. Cue the Vangelis, rest in peace. Um, I agree that the trailer looks fucking great. I have no clue what genre this is going to be. Interesting. No idea. Hmm. I'll kind of take anything. Yeah, but, it's good. I mean, if it's like a turn-based strategy game, I will not play it just because that's like the my my least favorite type of game. Mm. But if this is... And I, if this is somewhere in the detective or like simulate like a even even like a prey style simulation game like that's fine something around the good game genres <laughs> rts and mmo are like the worst yep. oh actually you got mobas too those are like they all fall in the same pool in my mind because mm -hmm. they all look the same mm -hmm. it's like 2.5d top down bullshit with a thousand things in the user interface they kind of spun out of from each other too so cringe not a fan that's why blizzard became so big was because it's the same thing see i feel just really different i feel really good about just the fact that i don't like activision blizzard and then it turns out that they're like the worst company to ever roam the earth so that's cool i felt very vindicated in those moments you forgot to say it now for the news uh, now for the From GameSpot.com, Star Wars Jedi Survivor is headed to more platforms. During publisher 
EA's earnings briefing, the company announced that developer Respawn is now in the early stages of bringing the Star Wars game to the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Jedi Survivor launched at the end of April this year for PC, PS5, and Xbox Modern Series. Uh, the game enjoyed general favor generally favorable reviews, but the PC version left something to be desired in terms of performance. RIP PC Master Race. <laughs> EA released multiple patches to address the issues over time. Beyond the announcement of Jedi Survivor for PS4 and Xbox One, Respawn said it is working on, quote, additional performance improvements, end quote, for the existing PC, PS5, and Xbox XS versions of Jedi Survivor. Respawn said it continues to be a top priority for the team to release these improvements and more information will be shared in due course. It is strange. It is cool and also, I think, bad because it demonstrates how much the new consoles fucking suck. But I believe about halfway through the game's production, they announced that they were only doing upcoming slash current gen. And I think it really demonstrates that nobody has the damn consoles, even though now they're fairly easy to get a hold of. People just don't really care because they're not that exciting. And making this no longer a next gen exclusive kind of solidifies that. Um, also, it had huge performance problems, not just on PC, but like on launch in general. Thank God they were patched out pretty quickly because it did get a very good reception otherwise, but it was like, damn, this thing is unplayable on day one. What the fuck happened? And then they're like, oh shit, we forgot to put half of it on the disc. My bad. And then it seems to be a good bit better, but like, weird. yeah, it's very odd. From Kotaku.com, a viral tweet about Assassin's Creed creator Ubisoft's Activision... Uh, Account deletion policy has ignited some intense conversation online around data collection and game access. Though the company's policy isn't new, the wording has left players confused as to what the consequences are for having an inactive account. On July 19th, Twitter user PC underscore Enjoyer tweeted a screenshot of an Ubisoft email they received stating that because their account had been inactive, the company temporarily suspended it and put it up for permanent closure in 30 days, unless they stopped the deletion by logging in and selecting the cancel account closure option. Ubisoft support confirmed this was a reply to PC con confirmed this in a reply to PC underscore user saying it doesn't want the user to lose access to their account or purchased games. That you could lose everything Ubisoft related simply because you haven't accessed your account in a while is quite alarming, leading to headlines over the July 2020 uh, July 22nd weekend that left some folks spooked. But it's unclear exactly what users would lose in that scenario. It's also a position the company's held for a while now. If you check Ubisoft's terms of service, it spells this out under a question regarding account termination. According to the terms of service, an account can be deleted by you or Ubisoft. In Ubisoft's case, the company can and will wipe your account if you fail to prove you're the account owner, violated the TOS or rules of conduct, for any other reason in relation to your actions or actions in or outside of the service or have been inactive for over six months. I knew about this, but I didn't expect it to really go anywhere because I used to play a lot of Ubisoft games because I used to also be a virgin. Um, this is bad. <laughs> Especially because, like, every large publisher is requiring you to use their own launcher, especially if you're playing, like, if you're playing on PC, they require you to buy the games through their launcher, and you can just lose all your shit, not just your progress, but your, like, your copy of the game, quote-unquote copy of the game, just because you haven't used it in a while, is really bad. Yes. <laughs> not good. Stinky. Nope. Ubisoft stinky. <clears throat> also, get rid of your CEO, rape company, and so on. Other comments. From GamesRadar.com, 
EA has spun up a new studio to create a Black Panther game in collaboration with Marvel. EA has just announced the new studio along with the upcoming game earlier today on July 10th. This is some old news that we're covering right now. Well, last month I was stupid and fucked up. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew there was something. I'm like, I know we've pushed this back a little bit, but not that much. Uh, the studio is called Cliffhanger Games, and it's based in Seattle, made up of veterans of Monolith Productions, the developer which previously made both Middle-Earth, Shadow of Mordor, and Shadow of War. There are also veterans from God of War, Halo, Call of Duty, and more on the dev team. The new Black Panther game is being overseen by Kevin Stevens, who also had a leading role on the Middle-Earth games. We're dedicated to delivering fans a definitive and authentic Black Panther experience, giving them more agency and control over their narrative than they have ever experienced in a story-driven video game, Steven says in a press release. Wakanda is a rich superhero sandbox. Those were weird capitalizations. Uh... And our mission is to develop an epic world for players who love Black Panther and want to explore the world of Wakanda as much as we do, the veteran developer concludes. EA has revealed little else about the Black Panther game itself right now, aside from the fact that it's being developed in collaboration with Marvel. Holy crap, I didn't see that coming. Uh, that's nice. It seems okay. Also, like I said last time, Marvel stop announcing your games five years before they're going to come out. Holy shit. Do you think... Wait. Ooh. Wait. Ooh. I have a thought. Hold Ooh. on. Hold, please. Oh, it's made up of veterans of Monolith. I was going to ask you if you thought it would have the, the Nemesis system, but it's not going to because it's not coming from Monolith itself. Yes. Well... We'll see how it goes. I don't know. There's the Captain America Black Panther game as well, which seemingly has no connection to this one. Like, I think we said when we were talking about that one a few months ago, it's cool that none of these games seem to be related to each other. But also, like, they're putting out, like, a single still image of nothingness. Like, this is, like, we put together a room of people and we came up with this idea. Please respond well so we can fund it. Right. Which is really dumb. From we're not going to see it in eight years. <clears throat> yeah. From Kotaku.com, after nearly two decades, Xbox Live Gold will die on September 14th. In its place is Xbox Game Pass Core, a cheaper version of the Game Pass service that will allow gamers to play online together as well as offer a curated selection of games to play. And yes, that also means Games with Gold is going away too. Going away too. You'll still have access to those games you downloaded via the program, but there are some things to consider. Originally launched in 2002, shortly after the launch of the original Xbox, Xbox Live quickly became the standard for online play on consoles. The service evolved from the Xbox 360 With the service evolved with the Xbox 360, featuring various networking capabilities such as cross-game voice chat and messaging. And in 2013, Xbox Live Gold also offered free games each month via Games with Gold. In 2017, however, Microsoft turned to offering other online services with Xbox Game Pass, allowing players to download countless games for around 11 bucks a month on consoles. Now the services are essentially fusing together on September 14th, with the Xbox Live Gold brand being phased out and Games with Gold ending on September 1st. Xbox Game Pass Core, which will cost 10 bucks a month or $60 a year, will offer 25 games to play and access to online multiplayer. I couldn't find it in this article, but they also confirmed that they're planning on adding more to that catalog. 
I actually think this is a really good idea um, because that's they've... pretty good. That for five bucks a month, you're gonna get access to multiplayer. Yes, that's been my biggest complaint about having a console. Is like it costs way too much to get half my game. I agree. Um, as a very big games with gold enjoyer over my lifetime, um, it's getting really stale because the amount of licenses that they can get a hold of for games they haven't previously released for free is getting very slim, and you can tell. Yep. So a lot of it is stuff that's been on big sales or you know a big eighty percent off sale recently. It just it's a very mixed bag of stuff that they're able to get. There's been plenty of really good games and a lot of stuff I never would have played if I hadn't gotten them for free, but it's been clearly kind of stressed out for a while and xbox game pass is sim- like single-handedly keeping xbox afloat so it makes sense to kind of shove them together they've already had um game pass ultimate which is game pass plus xbox live anyways so this definitely makes sense and having a base level of it doesn't say what 25 games obviously but like i don't know maybe because it's a, it's already an online based thing like having it be some big mainstream damn look it's a free call of duty it means you can play outside of just the multiplayer portions as well it seems like a decent idea to kind of keep a stronger ecosystem going instead of the games with gold that you get for free just kind of sending you off in random corners of like single player hell i prefer those types of games but i think this is a much better thing for like the general ecosystem also classy move by xbox because playstation said uh, actually we're gonna raise our prices so Dude, Sony's online services have always sucked, and they continue to get worse. From comicbook.com, the long-rumored Red Dead Redemption re-release. I was seeing if you were having a heart attack or just sweating. Moist. Uh, Re-release. Has finally been revealed, and it's coming to Nintendo Switch. Red Dead Redemption is one of the most beloved games of all time and is a staple in Rockstar Games' catalog. The developer was able to immerse players into the Wild West in a way no other game had at that point with rich characters, a beautiful world to explore, and a story with a great deal of depth and maturity. The sequel upped the ante in a big way and had many players demanding a remaster or remake of the first game, especially uh, since it was a game that was locked away on much older hardware and could only be played through backward compatibility, compatibility on Xbox if you wanted to play it on a modern console. Now, after years of rumors and speculation, we can now confirm that RDR is finally coming to new consoles. It's already here, by the way. The new version of RDR is being labeled as a conversion, not a remaster or remake, meaning it's more in line with the original version from 2010. It will release digitally on August 17th for PS4 and Nintendo Switch for $50, with a physical release on October the 13th. The PS4 version will be backward compatible on PS5, so players don't have to worry about missing out on it regardless of console generation. It will come with the acclaimed Undead Nightmare expansion and will not feature the multiplayer modes in either the core game or the expansion. The re-release is being doubled, nope, is being developed by Double Eleven, a studio known for helping port a variety of games. As of right now, no PC version has been announced, and there won't be a new version for Xbox as it's already available via backward compatibility. This is fucking trash. It's the, so Xbox. This was one of the first games that they put on uh, Xbox One's backwards compatibility program because it was like an ongoing service that they had for a long time. And they already updated it a little. Like, they did general bug fixes and some graphical updates. 
So it's literally that version that Xbox did for free fucking five years ago, now being sold for $50 to PlayStation fucking losers yes. and Switch users because they're retarded. Like, 50 <clears throat> uh, if you were arguing a pure time sink, the value is fine. It includes the ins- expansion, which you have to do unless you're an animal. But, like, f- 50 bucks for a re-release is horrid. That's and just Apparently, it's not, like, the it, greatest thing ever. No, it's it's barely even updating the settings. Like, it's just, we put it on a Switch. That's it. It's a port. That's it. Dog shit. Wow. Stinky. I don't understand why Rockstar is having such a hard time bringing back their old games. Like, they've been known for making such great games. Why do they not want to just do what they've already done and make double the money. Because they can add another mode to GTA Online and then you can buy more digital currency with it. And that will sustain them forever. Because this is the second time that they've had... A re-release that sucks ass? Yes. Yeah, the GTA Trilogy re-release is fucking garbage. Right. Yeesh. From Marvel.com, Spider-Man were the talk of the town at San Diego Comic-Con 2023, kicked off day one with an exclusive panel in Hall H about Marvel's Spider-Man 2. Peter Parker and Miles Morales return for an exciting new adventure where they swing, jump, and utilize the new web wings to travel across Marvel's New York. Players can experience switching between both Spider-Men throughout the story, each with their own epic powers as the iconic villain Venom Venom, uh, threatens to destroy their lives, their city, and the ones they love. It's a new trailer, and it looks really good. It's continuing to look really good. But, I have a theory, but though. But does he say the line, it's Venom in time? No, but he does Venom all over the place. Okay. Also, they released, a, they put up an ad for a statue today that's like, buy your 19 inches of Venom, and it's so funny. Like, that's an official press release for a statue. Just really, really funny. Um, I have a theory. I think Venom might not be the big bad for this game. It's a theory. It's a pet theory. I think it's going to be the meat, like the meat and potatoes of it. But considering how well uh, the first game like hid Doc Ock and didn't market him at all, yeah. I have a feeling. I don't know who the big bad's going to be because Craven and Venom seem to be getting yeah, sort of roughish, equal-ish screen time in all the trailers and stuff. But I just got a vibe. Okay. Because I mean, the marketing was around Mister Negative for the most part, mm-hmm. and they they did a lot of tra- uh, trailer fuckery. Before I played the game, I didn't even know that the that the the Fast Five was in it. The Fast Five. The Superior Six. There you go. Whatever it is. The Sinister Six. But yeah, yeah. The Stinky Bad Guy Group. Yes. The Sussy Seven. The, the Fabulous Four. The Terrible Threes. <laughs> Move just, on to another Kotaku it's, article. It's just four dudes like wearing platform shoes going, Oh, you're fabulous, girl! <laughs> True. Uh, now shut up and read the Kotaku article. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you scare me sometimes. From Kotaku.com. Charles Martinet, the actor whose voice has been... Get the school the freaking ant. Yeah, eat him, spider. Eat him. Get him. Yeah. Get him, Dad. Get him. Fire. That spider's actually fighting with the ant right now. That's kind of cool. That's so metal. All right. Uh, Nature is fucking metal. My favorite subreddit. Charles Martinet, the actor whose voice has been synonymous with Mario since the mid-90s, is not dead. It is moving into a new role at Nintendo, the company announced on X. This takes effect immediately as the company has confirmed that Martinet does not voice Mario in the upcoming Super Mario Bros. Wonder. 
where he becomes an elephant with a penis on his face. Nintendo posted on X that Martinet will be stepping back from recording character voices for our games. In addition to Mario, Martinet has provided the voices of Luigi, Wario, and Waluigi. In his new role as Mario Ambassador, he'll travel the world sharing the joy of Mario and interacting with fans. I like that they made a retirement role for him. That's I agree. cool. Pay this man so much fucking money. Also, Chris Pratt is waiting. He's waiting. Call him. He'll do it. It's me, Mario. Don't make me pull your finger. <laughs> Charlie bit my finger. Uh, from GameRant.com. Microsoft's Xbox Design Lab lets fans design and purchase their own personalized Xbox controllers. I remember when this got launched, it was the coolest thing ever. Xbox fans are unable to customize their consoles to such an extent, but Microsoft often gives away special edition Xbox Series X and S consoles based on new films and games. This fall, Microsoft will launch a new method of customization for fans who have been wanting to customize their Xbox Series console for the past three years. I cannot believe this thing has been out for three years already. In a new Xbox Wire post, Microsoft announced that Xbox Series X console wraps will be launching this year. Each console wrapped is precisely designed for the Xbox Series X while ensuring cooling performance is unaffected. For example, Microsoft added small feet to the bottom of the wraps in order to allow air to freely flow through the console's vents. What an idea. The wrap consists of solid core panels with high-tech fabric finishes, and a hook and loop enclosure secures the wrap onto the console. Pre-orders are available now in the Microsoft Store, and the very first console wrapped is themed after Bethesda's highly anticipated Starfield game. So at first, rip. At fir- it's getting a pretty good reception. For a Bethesda game. That's also true. Uh, so at first, I was like, this is neat. And then, it's attached with Velcro. <laughs> what the fuck is this? That's funny. This is insane. At least play at least like Sony lets the random bootleg companies make the stupid plates. They the, don't though. <laughs> they, they're, they, they're, those were lawsuits. Whatever. They exist. Back they in the exist. 360 was a thing you could get custom face plates. They look like ass. They were great. <laughs> this is horrible. No who the fuck's going to buy it's a Basically a piece of cloth attached by Velcro, but, like, they drilled holes into it. Nice. Like, have your mom knit you an Xbox cover, and it'll look cooler than this. (laughs) Does your Xbox run cold? I can knit it a sweater. (laughs) No, it runs like a fucking jet engine. Thank you, Mom. (laughs) It can LARP as a campfire when it lights on fire from overheating. This is so dumb. It makes it so you don't have to buy a foot heater. Just put it down by your feet. Oh, that's disgusting. And your, your feet are warm in the winter. But then the air propels my stinky foot particles everywhere. Mm. It's like those boot warmers that are just basically like hair dryers. Mm-hmm. Disgusting. Absolutely. Disgusting. From Kotaku.com. The classic id software shooter Quake 2 is back and looking better than ever in a new remaster that's out now on all major platforms. And for folks playing on Xbox Series X and S and PC, you'll be able to invite seven of your best friends over to play together on one big screen. Originally released in 97, Quake 2 was the follow-up to the tremendously successful... Go ahead, think about it for a second. Shiver. 
Quake. Holy shit. Which Clever. was one of the first fully 3D first-person shooters ever made. The sequel changed up the narrative and setting, moving the action to space and introducing the Strog. Two Gs. Uh, deadly aliens who would appear in later Quake titles, including the forgettable Quake 4. While Quake 2 is sometimes overshadowed by the multiplayer-focused sequel Quake 3 Arena, it's still a fun game that pushed graphics forward, in particular with its robust support for some of the earlier 3D graphics cards. And now the classic game has been remastered and released across all of the systems, except for Apple computers, because they can suck nuts. The first thing that caught my eye when looking at the store page for Quake 2 on Xbox, which is launching as part of Game Pass, was the mention that the game supports 8-player split-screen. I know it's not the first time, the first game to support so many play players via split-screen, but that's still a pretty rare thing. How many games even support that many players locally, let alone via 8 separately rendered boxes on one screen? Wild. And it's always nice to see a PC game include... Who is writing this part of it? Is this, like, an actual op-ed? Yeah. Okay. Wow. GameSpot does that a lot. I don't like that. Sorry, that's that the, was that's Kotaku. The, I'm retarded. Kotaku does that a lot. Most gaming sites do that, to be honest. It's getting a little annoying. Piss poor journalism. I don't disagree. They're not very clearly labeled. I like op-eds, but they're not labeled clearly enough. To be fair, if it's Kotaku, just assume that it is. The first half is like the best journalism ever, and then the second half is just word vomit. It's fun. Sounds like it is written by a robot. Yeah. Um, that's nice. I haven't played any of these. I would like to go back to them. I tried my hand at one of them. I was like, I am so lost right now. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. Um... I saw that this had this I like I I I saw this before I saw the news article. I saw it on my Xbox dashboard, and I was like, "When the fuck did that come out?" Hmm. I it's probably because they're trying to generate interest in the upcoming reboot thingy. So, I guess that works. Cool. From Gamespot.com. Backwards compatible Xbox 360 titles will thankfully remain available to purchase and play on Xbox One and Xbox Series X/S after the Xbox 360 store closes. For any Xbox 360 games and DLC already purchased, nothing is changing. Those games and content will still be available to use. This includes on the original 360 as well as Xbox One and Xbox Series. Through backwards compatibility, content can still be re-downloaded as well. A lot has changed since the Xbox 360 launched in 2005. Technology has evolved, expectations from players have shifted, and we are focused on making Xbox Series consoles the best place to play now and in the future, Microsoft said regarding the shutdown. Online multiplayer on Xbox 360 through Xbox Network, formerly Xbox Live, will remain available after the 360 store closes, provided the publisher of the game still runs servers. R.I.P. Halo 3. Uh, additionally, cloud saves will still be available on 360, and they can transfer to Xbox One and Xbox Series consoles. Um, you should play sad jazz music over that whole article. Actually, big joke. I always already, I already put it on in the background of every episode. You just never know. <laughs> um, it makes sense that they'd want to reduce the store. Like they're not getting rid of all the like the service compatibility. It's just. That thing is still active. It's kind of fucking crazy. So it's nice that you can still buy them through the backwards compatibility system. They're not locking it away. But, like, 
who the fuck is going on an Xbox 360 and then buying Super Meat Boy for $5? Like, you're buying Super Meat Boy on the newer consoles. It just happens to be the 360 version. It makes sense to not close it down until now because that's kind of the focus from Xbox is to have everything online. So, okay, cool. Yeah, they're definitely doing a lot of, like, their, their online... Uh, services and other stuff is definitely trying to consolidate. I feel like there might be something, not big, big, but like something coming, not just these little, like, they're doing a thing, oh, that's kind of neat, but like, I feel like there might be some big thing happening somewhat near future. This one's from Kotaku. Activision has officially teased 2023's Call of Duty after months of leaks titled Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. I know, so big brain. It follows... Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> I love shitty journalism. <laughs> it will seemingly be a direct sequel to last year's game, and it's coming out on November 10th. Do you want a little space here to include from last episode when you say, um, actually, I predict that the next one is gonna be Call of Duty 3, and it's gonna come out November 10th, because I have big brain. I sit on my brain. Maybe. Okay. None of that is unexpected at this point. Wait, what? Oh. Yes. Yes. None of that is unexpected at this point. None of that is unexpected at this point, considering Activision has released a new full-price Call of Duty every year since the series debuted back in 2003. Whatever the reboot brings, it will seemingly fit right on top of the existing joint live service platform established with last year's entry and Warzone 2.0. The Call of Duty Twitter account previously teased that all of players' existing operators, weapons, and cosmetic bundles would carry over between Modern Warfare 2 and 3. Tons of new and returning weapons and killstreaks have also seemingly leaked ahead of the game's official showcase, expected sometime before the end of last month. It still has not happened at time of recording. Ooh. The biggest question remains just how much of a full-fledged Call of Duty game the November 2023 game will be. Bloomberg had previously reported that Activision was looking at skipping this year in terms of the of a new annualized release as the franchise buckles under the weight of all the costs and studios required to keep pumping out sequels. Whether Modern Warfare 3 ends up feeling more like a smaller standalone update remains to be seen. We don't yet know whether it will be priced at the new standard next-gen rate of $70. What we do know is that it will be coming to PlayStation 5 as previously expected, despite the finalization of Microsoft's deal to acquire Activision Blizzard fast approaching. The tech giant confirmed a 10-year agreement to continue supporting Activision games on Sony's platform even after they technically become part of Xbox Game Studios. This was no secret, because I pulled up Call of Duty Black Ops 4, Cold War, other subtitles, and it was, like, inundated with ads for Modern Warfare 3. It was like, no, I don't want to watch the new ad. I want to play multiple. No, I don't want to watch the new ad. I want to play Capture. No, I don't want to watch the new fucking ad! I want to shoot people. I'm very much of two minds about this. Um... As they had previously discussed for the past two years or so, uh, Call of Duty had been talking about skipping 2023 for a full release, and I was excited about that because it's, wow, look, skip a year of an annualized release, build a bigger game, and so on. 
but also this is what people have been accusing Call of Duty games of being, myself included, for a very long time. Like each updated uh, game within a series, typically speaking outside of its campaign, is basically just more maps and some more guns on top of the same exact infrastructure. So if this isn't $70, I'm gonna kind of consider it a good move. Because if they add in another 10 to 20 hour campaign, like the last two, and then they keep, like they said, they're dragging over nearly all of the multiplayer system and they're just adding on top of it. It's annoying because it sounds like a cheapskate move, but considering how it's, much of a smash hit this one has been already, and they're, they're only pulling a 12, 12 month release cycle, yes. it does make sense. And it is obviously good that everything's carrying over, because if you just are like, oh, by the way, it's a sequel, and also it's next year, and also nothing carries over, that would be a massive ripoff. So, okay. I don't even know how to feel about this. Um, the teaser was, uh, as usual, a teaser of like a still image of nothing, as it usually is, but... I think it was a submarine? Yeah, it has nothing. They, nothing none of these... No, no reveal trailer has like anything to do with the fucking game. Wasn't the first Modern Warfare 3... The first level was coming up out of a submarine, right? I don't remember. Honestly, it's been a while. It is on my list of games I want to get to at some point, and I was kind of expecting this to happen or a remake to happen, like yeah. a, a re um, remaster, re-release of Modern Warfare Three, because that's been rumored for a while as well. Right. So it'd be kind of nice if they did. Oh, what if they do both? What if they do both? What if they do both in the same package? And then it's only seventy dollars. That'd be nice. That would be a. I think that would be a decent way to offset the cost, especially if it's only like the Modern Warfare Two one, where it doesn't include multiplayer, and it's, it's not even like a reimagining. It's just an updated like. I think it's too popular. They're gonna charge the new game for seventy bucks. That's probably what they did with Modern Warfare Two. I know. I'm just trying to be positive because that wouldn't be a bad deal. Like even if it was the chopped down kind of lesser version that they did for mw2 whereas the mw1 remake remake was like a whole kit and caboodle I, I i would pay 70 bucks for that at launch as long as it didn't launch like literal dog shit you Get know more information on this yes from GameSpot.com. In addition to the more cinematic, linear, and focused missions that fans have come to know and expect from call of duty modern warfare 3 has open combat missions in capitalized letters that give players more freedom players will have numerous additional choices for how to complete a mission activision said in a blog post for example if you'd prefer to use stealth techniques you may wish to undertake an ocm with a lights out approach using night vision goggles and suppressed weapons and complete your objectives without your adversaries ever knowing you were there the company said however if loud explosions and reckless abandon are part of your repertoire strap extra armor plates on your torso and hit those targets head on okay here's the deal with this they already fucking did this last year they just didn't advertise it because half the missions in the game were open world open-ended war zone missions so they already did this but now that they're actually talking about it maybe it's not shit this time no further thoughts I don't know. I'm stuck on the hopefully it's not shit this time. Because <laughs> mm. there were stealth missions that I got stuck on trying to stealth. Like I always do in stealth games. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to shotgun everybody in the face. And I did. And it worked. No, you were supposed to make a bomb out of the fucking laundry detergent. And gasoline. From Kotaku.com. Microsoft and Sony have finally reached a deal for keeping Call of Duty on PlayStation once the Activision Blizzard merger goes through. I swear we are not a Call of Duty show. The surprise agreement comes after months of fighting between the two companies and is a sign the acquisition is all but inevitable. There is a quote here. 
We are pleased to announce that Microsoft and PlayStation have signed a binding agreement to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation following the acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Microsoft Gaming CEO Philip Spencer tweeted on July the 16th. He's my dad. Wow. We look forward to a future where players globally have more choice to play their favorite games. We like all of the money, and it would be dumb not to to include PlayStation. Yeah. I think the only reason why they're making a bigger deal out of this is because uh, Sony was apparently, from what I could gather, doing some some shady shit. Some shady shit during a lot of the hearings for the acquisition merger bullshit and was very much like throwing up big flags to try to get it taken down, which on the one hand, Monopoly's bad, so Sony based, but also Sony's sucked so fuck them. Right. Um, it makes sense. Like, why the fuck would you not have it on everything? Like, if COD's going to exist for another 10 years in some form, then why would you not want it everywhere? Because they had already. It's not like making it exclusive is going to sell that many more xboxes they're no. making way more money by keeping it on everything and especially because every other weekend is like a free play weekend anyways where you can just play it without the online service so that would be incredibly stupid from gamespot.com october is a highly competitive month for video game launches every single year and that's true this year once again seemingly for that reason alan wake 2 is getting delayed but just barely moving from its original date of october 17th to its new date of october 27th the news was shared by remedy on social media removing alan wake 2's launch from october 17th to october 27th october is an amazing month for game launches and we hope this date shift gives more space for everyone to enjoy their favorite games we can't wait to show you that what everyone's favorite novelist is up to in the dark place next week Thank you for your patience. Um, what are they competing with that's got them sweating? I don't remember, but to honestly, if they're competing with anything, it makes sense. Because this is going to be, unless it's really bad, this is going to be a headline-grabbing game. Because Alan Wake is something that like everybody knows about, but nobody really plays. Right. So like it, it makes sense that they'd want like a 10-day, like after whatever else it is. Because October is usually, October is usually like the big big bucks come out this is only two weeks after call of duty comes out so um, i don't know it makes sense it's not that exciting it's definitely not like a quality control delay because that's they'd never do that for like a week like that's if it was like a we need more time even if they didn't want to say it, it would be like a month or two all right from kotaku.com naughty dog the developer behind the last of us and uncharted is about to undergo a pretty big shakeup in leadership co-president evan wells has announced he'll be retiring, and co-president and Last of Us director Neil Druckmann will be the sole president of the company moving forward. Wells wrote about his departure on the studio's website, saying he's retiring from the studio after 25 years, but that he's confident in Druckmann and the rest of Naughty Dog's current management to lead the company in his absence. The decision brings with it overwhelming and conflicting emotions, but I've come to realize that I'm content with my time at the studio and all that we've accomplished together over the last 25 years, Wells wrote. I couldn't be more confident in Neil's ability to carry on running the studio. It's the right time for me to provide the opportunity for him and the others in the studio leadership team to steer the studio into a successful future. It makes sense. He's getting forced out. I'm calling it right now. I was about to say, I'm, I don't think it's necessarily forcing it, but I think that they might have different ideas on where they want to go yep. because because Neil Druckmann doesn't seem to want to make another Last of Us game from right. what I can gather, and he doesn't want to make another Uncharted game from what I can gather, yep. but Sony 
wants to do both is what it's been smelling like for a while. So it sounds like they are, they want to shut down that like Naughty Dog has anything to do with those. And somehow this is a casualty of that because Neil Druckmann is busy working on the TV show and there was, I don't remember what it was, but there was two months ago or maybe three months ago, there was an announcement. There was some other studio under Sony was apparently maybe kind of doing an Uncharted, Uncharted. thing. Yeah, I and I, I, there's definitely politics on this one. It doesn't seem like he's salty, but obviously it's a it's a PR statement. Mm-hmm. But like he could legitimately be like fine with leaving. It's just a over really a difference of opinion. Uh, if you want to get the next one, the last one is a long one. It's all Halo words, so it might be <laughs> easier for me to spit that one off. Uh, the Covenant and the Hive and uh, Spartan. Yeah. Work, 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 work. work, 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 work. From GameSpot.com, a new Walking the Dead video game has been announced, and it's launching soon. The Walking Dead colon Destinies retells critical moments from seasons 1 through 4 of the AMC series through a third-person action-adventure game. The game gives players a number of choices to make, like electing who leads the group, if you choose to make the governor your enemy or friend, and... More. You just wanted me to read this one because it's too painful to read words about your ex. Actually, no, because I have (laughs) positive feelings about this. (laughs) The game kicks off with players controlling Rick Grimes, who awakes in a hospital and surrounded by zombies. Like on the show, players need to make friends and battle baddies as they trace the story and locations from the TV series. Players will visit places like Atlanta, the green with three e's farm and the prison the game lets players bash zombies with a variety of weapons including bats katanas revolvers shotguns and crossbows why are they bashing zombies with revolvers and shotguns and crossbows why not just shoot no them? no ammo Oh, I don't think a Bonk. crossbow is very easy to swing. It's kind of big and bulky. But the butt's pretty strong. Yeah, but then you're pointing the dangerous end towards you. But there's nothing in it! But the wings off the side of it get in the way of you trying to swing it. I feel like if you just turn it and then boop, I think that works. Mm. I have a feeling. Or alternatively, you grab, you you flip it around. You grab the string with mm-hmm. your forward hand mm-hmm. and then you pull the fucking unit back and then somehow shoot the unit forward while you're holding the string. That sounds like a really good way to break your wrist. I would say lose the whole arm, but yeah. Uh. uh. There are a dozen characters from the TV series who will appear in the game, including Rick, Shane, Michonne, that person, Carol, and Daryl. You'll notice it doesn't say their voice actors are the same actors. Oh, no, they're definitely not. The Walking Dead colon Destinies releases, quote unquote, soon. For PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series X and S and 1, Nintendo Switch, and PC. Pre-orders are available now for $50. The game is developed by Flux Games, which which has experience with licensed titles with its Cobra Kai games. This is super weird, but I kind of like it. I think it's going to be really low budget. It sounds to me like someone high up said... Wow, you really did fuck up the TV show. 
A little bit of that, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what happens in the TV show. No, it's I've just true. heard you complain about it for a long, long time now. No, it's true. Um, and also, the the couple of stills that they released look halfway decent. It looks like they're trying to obviously get a little bit of the the Telltale Games kind of clout off of it just by like it being a third person like choice based game. But it makes sense because there's been so much. So much of the speculation around the show, especially in the early days, was like, but what if this character didn't die? And it's like, well, why don't we just make a video game about it? That tracks. Um, it's weird that it's seasons one through four. That's an oddly, that's just an odd number because for me anyways, I usually think of it as like one through three and then four through six and then the rest of it. Mm. So I, the break seems weird for one through four, but... It could just be what they could include for story writing and yeah. like so many choices and whatever, whatever. Yes, and because it's only fifty bucks, I feel like that might be why. Like it's a it's a smaller game, and because it only is it says it only includes about a dozen characters specifically from the show. Like it's definitely going to be a very stripped down version of what happens, which makes sense, I guess. It's neat. It might be crap, but like it's surprising it, that it's fifty bucks. It caught my attention yeah, a little. Sounds cool. From Kotaku.com. <gasps> in an era when it seems games are killed off all the time, it's impressive to see Microsoft and 343 Industries continuing to support and update Halo, the Master Chief Collection. Nearly yeah, I a, missed Master Chief in the list of words. Master Queef, nearly a decade after its initial release. Mr. Chef. In its new Mr. Chef. Whatever. Mr. Chief. Mr. Chief. Yes. And its new content out July 12 is a hu is huge, adding a ton of new content to the already massive collection of classic Halo games. It's easy to forget in 2023 that the Master Chief Collection didn't launch to critical acclaim or cheering fans. No, it's really easy to fucking remember because it was dog shit for you. For everybody, it was like the worst game launch of all time. It was horrid. And it was already in a bad time because Halo was floundering then. It was really bad. Uh, in fact, its initial release in November 2014 was a giant embarrassing mess that was criticized heavily for network issues, missing content, poor performance, and other problems. But over the years, 343 added more games to the collection, like Reach brought back cut content and ported over maps from Halo Infinite, and then oh, made it like no. the... Ported over maps from Halo Online. Halo Online. Sorry, I'm stupid. Um, yeah, and then they made it like the best collection of games I've seen in my life. It's amazing how they did that over a few years and like a couple of re like relaunches. And it's still only $60 for the whole kit and caboodle and they're still updating it. Like just even even just recurring like challenge stuff is still going. It's nuts. On July 10, uh, 343 revealed all the details about the upcoming rele release via its official website. There's a lot being added to MCC. Here are some of the highlights. Firefight will now support up to eight players, and you'll be able to find matches via the in-game browser. Firefight and MCC will also support join in progress, letting players hop in mid-game or return after a disconnect. Squad W. 343 is also adding options to Firefight that will let you recreate the 3v3 generator protection mode that was only available in Halo Reach's network beta test. Another Squad W. After the July 12 update, Halo 4's campaign and Spartan Ops mode will support theater mode. Finally! Because so many Halo fans just absolutely adore Halo 4 and have to see it in theater mode. Um, more like the machinima community needs theater mode to fucking work. Otherwise, um, machinima is dead. That's why four had like no machinima, and they just it, the whole that whole sub community died because theater was so fucking busted. I thought it was machinima. <laughs> we have been bamboozled. Uh, three four three warns that this might be a little wonky as this feature uses legacy code from an older pre-release build of Halo Four. That makes sense because the Halo Four on three sixty theater mode was also shit. 
Three, uh, Halo 3 is getting a new mode, Slayer Escalation, aka Gun Game, aka that mode from Counter-Strike and Call of Duty in which each time you kill someone, you get a new gun. 343 already added this game type to other Halo games in MCC, so it's nice, nice to see it come to Halo 3. I tried Gun Game last night, late last night. It was getting near the end of my PlayStation on Black Ops Cold War, and I started in the middle of a match, and the first gun is a pistol that you have to hit someone, like, five or six times with. It was awful. I hated it. Skill issue, don't join games in progress. Gun game is like the best thing ever. Wasn't my fault I joined a game in progress. I had switched over from uh, Sticks and Stones and I had a lot of fun with that. Sticks and Stones is also didn't. really good. I went on a tear in the first Sticks and Stones game. Very I, good. I came out on top with like 16 kills or something. Very good. 343 has also added three pieces of equipment, Invincibility, Active Camo, and Auto Turret from Halo 3's campaign into its multiplayer sandbox. These will be available in Forge and other Halo 3 custom game modes. The Acrophobia Skull can now be activated in Halo CE. This in-game modifier, which is already available in other Halo games in MCC, lets players fly around freely in single player, perfect for people wanting to explore for Easter eggs or wanting to experience the original campaign in a brand new way. Um, the reason I wanted to highlight this was mostly for theater, because that's like a really important community feature for the ga like games to keep going. Um, and also because it, it doesn't, they didn't officially say it, but this kind of smells like it might be the last like big update that they do. Yeah. Because they stopped releasing new seasons i think six months ago they stopped i, I think, think it, it was more than that it was like a it's year it's been ago. a while but they capped it at, i think it was season eight so it's just been unlocking all that stuff and that's all the stuff from halo online that they ported over all the new stuff that they made all the unreleased content which was fucking awesome but like it seems like this might be like the big kicker or one of the last big kickers because they don't usually make such a big stink about their updates because usually it's like we did more quality of life and like fixed that one glitch because it's a huge game with like six games in it yes i thought it was neat uh i revisited a favorite of mine from the past generation i guess uh star wars jedi fallen order a 2019 action adventure souls like uh that was developed by respawn and published by ea uh it is sent sent set between uh, Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, like everything in Star Wars apparently, uh, taking place roughly five years after the Jedi Purge. Five years? Is it ten years? Five years after the Purge. Um, and we follow Cal Kestis, that's Cal with a C, Kestis with a K. Kind of like you just purged your balls of all the piss yes. stored in them. The only good ginger to ever exist true um who is a former padawan who survived the purge surviving on a scrapping planet when he gets outed as a jedi um by you know inquisitors doing their inquisitoring hunting for all the, the jedis and shit and then he gets abducted sort of not no really one expects the spanish inquisition yes uh he gets uh taken in i guess by a crew of uh, people also trying to restore the Jedi Order or whatever, giving him hope and shit. Uh, Seer Junda, who is, uh, as is revealed later in the game, a former Jedi Master who has cut herself off from the Force, and Grease, the uh, lovable goofball, grunge, grumpy old man, heart of gold mechanic, and so on. The, all the Star Wars types you know and love. Um, they also, along the way, pick up a, a couple of other characters, who I will not spoil because this is still a fairly recent game. Um, you are going on a quest to find a Jedi holocron that contains the names and the social security numbers and IP addresses of a bunch of Force-sensitive children because they want to bring back the Jedi Order so they can defeat the Empire for obvious reasons. Um, 
This was a miracle at the time, and I think a lot of its luster has actually worn off on me, which is weird. I wasn't expecting it. But at the time, this was when Star Wars was like down in the dumps real bad. Uh, the reception of the past couple of movies had been crazy. One of them had bombed, uh, especially the, on the video game front. The only games that had been released were Battlefront and Battlefront 2, both of which were met with numerous controversies and a mixed reception, we'll say. Uh, so we had no clue that this was going to be good or even an actual, just a single player game without DLC or in-game con like in-game purchasable content and then somehow respawn fended off ea long enough to release a complete mostly polished game with no dlc crazy and i think no there was free dlc that they gave out kind of often uh, that's just post-launch bullshit that they didn't draw like, hey here's a free skin well thanks i'm gonna cover that later um and also because it was competent and not bad, I think people really got over-invested in this one, myself included. Mm -hmm. It's really good. I will front load this by saying, I still think this is a fantastic game, but after replaying it, I think I, this is my third playthrough. I think it's cracks are kind of evident and they are glossed over. What the fuck are you watching? Are you watching sport ball? You're wrong. Uh, she doesn't stream. She posts porn videos. They're, they're different. Um, she started an OnlyFans. <sighs> um, yes, I'm watching Sportball. <laughs> um, and because of its presentation and, oh, it feels like Star Wars, I think a lot of that, that those things got kind of smoothed over. And now that I have reduced my investment in Star Wars a good bit, and there's been a couple of other very good projects in the meantime, I think I can come to terms more clearly with its flaws and actually appreciate what it is. This is like the most mashup game I've played, I think. Uh, so on a gameplay level, this is Dark Souls, because everyone talked about it. It's really obvious. Don't be fucking stupid and act like it's not true. Dark Souls, apparently Sekiro. I still haven't played it. Um, so Only I, because of the control scheme. Yeah, I guess. Um, or Bloodborne, I guess, because it's like defensive offense, whatever. No, I was saying more like the left bumper is the parry, and the right bumper is the attack. Like, that's Sekiro. It's, I think it's just more because it's more of a parry system, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. And like, as well as Uncharted and um, a few other things. This, just, it's a, it's a, this is a Star Wars reskin of its contemporaries, and there is nothing wrong with that. It's just, as I've played it now multiple times, and I'm encountering it with more... You know, each playthrough, I, I now have more other games under my belt. I've widened my horizons a little bit. I I think this game is basically just sections pulled from other games, and then they stirred it into a Star Wars pot, and that's fine. Yeah, that's it, not a complaint. No part of that is a complaint. It's just being honest about it because the Star Wars part of the game is the best part. The the game in like it, this is it's better than the sum of its parts because all of its parts are really good but they don't actually mesh very well with each other uh whether it be the platforming or the combat or the general storytelling or the like open world exploration stuff they don't actually mesh together very well uh, especially after replaying so many times um so presentation stuff uh dude feels like star wars uh 
It's true. It feels like Star Wars. I wanted to swing a lightsaber. I got to swing a lightsaber. The score uh, is one of my favorite parts of this thing in general. Um, it is a mixture of a lot of old, previously used Star Wars motifs, as well as a hell of a lot of new material. It mixes stuff from the prequels and the original trilogy, and then a lot of original stuff. Uh, it's dynamic in the levels as well, so you're not always hearing the same track all the time. Um, it fucking slaps. No notes. Good shit. Um other presentation stuff that goes really well uh in each of the world settings and on every on every planet and every cutscene the uh, visual contrast between the light side and the dark side is really fucking obvious it's super ham-fisted but it's star wars star wars has never been subtle so it's like wow look at this natural organic planet it's so happy and peaceful and then the empire just has a fucking dick in it and it's like wow look at that big building sticking out of the side of a mountain that doesn't look natural this cave is not a natural formation. Like, stuff like that gets a little old because it's so disgust to death, but it works really well. Where every scene you can see, wow, look at how good this place used to be, or look at what this culture was doing over here, and then like, wow, look at the Empire with their metal sheets and stormtroopers and shit, and it just it creates a lot of visual contrast. Um, the camera work in cutscene uh, is fantastic. It, it's shot like a Star Wars movie or a Star Wars TV show. It includes like um, sweeping vistas. I was gonna say um, pan wipes, the very Star Warsy, where like you know, like the screen will go up and then there's a new frame. You know, it's a it doesn't happen in the two anthology movies, which people were all buttered about. But, like it's a whatever. It's a Star Wars camera technique that they basically patented. Um, it it. It nails the tone down. It's got a lot of very serious moments. It does go over some decent themes of uh, trauma and survivor's guilt and stuff like that. It does tread on very tread ground, either for Star Wars or just in general for, like, media. But it does it well. It it concocts a soup of ingredients that everybody knows, and then it puts on some little Star Wars jimmies on top. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Sprinkles. Do you always call them Jimmy's? No, it depends. On what? On the soup. Good soup. I just put them on my sandwiches. That's disgusting. Are you fucking, like, Australian? Why do you put sprinkles on soup? I didn't say it was hot soup. I didn't say it wasn't melted ice cream soup. (laughs) Um... Its presentation is really strong. It uses a lot of iconic imagery from multiple different eras of Star Wars and and smushes them together in really interesting and cool ways, whether it be the ships that are present, the outfits, the planets. It's all very cool on that front. Um, The story is very straightforward, um, which is also fine. It's a very Star Warsy tale of... (laughs) <laughs> uh, hiding from the Empire and the bad guys and then getting pulled out of hiding because of bad things and repressed trauma and survivor's guilt because you are the only Jedi who didn't die in the Purge except the other 18 people. And then uh, there's also a, 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 an apprentice who's fallen to the dark side because they feel betrayed by their master. But, like, it's the it's the most Star Wars shit, so it's fine. Jedi, colon, fallen order, colon, a very Star Warsy tale. True. <laughs> like... It does all the Star Wars tropes, but in no way does that drag the experience down. If anything, that's why it feels so, like, at home in the Star Wars universe. Whether you're talking pre-Disney era, post-Disney era, whatever. It just is like, wow, 
that was the most Star Wars thing I've ever fucking seen. It integrates multiple different eras of stuff. There's magic, which is a very Clone Wars-y thing. There's, all, there's a lot of Clone Wars stuff in here. Uh, there's a lot of prequel stuff, and then there's a lot of new imagery coming in from the original trilogy of like, wow, look at all the ATSTs and the Stormtroopers and shit. And it just, it's a big old mixing pot. I think that was part of the the shiny that I liked about it was all of the Clone Wars stuff that I didn't know about. I was like, whoa, that's cool and new. And then I watched Clone Wars and I went, oh. Yes. Which is also cool because it means if you don't know it, you're experiencing something for the first time. And yeah. it portrayed it in a way that's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was a thing. And it's not, like, confusing. Um, so, yeah, you go on some adventures. You follow the tale. The, the, uh, who you will find out is uh, Seer Junda's uh, master. He had this obsession. He's very Qui-Gon-esque. He had this obsession with another uh, race of Star Wars aliens who were very close to the Force. Like, that's never happened before. Uh, he wanted to unlock their secrets. So he made a fetch quest on top of another fetch quest, on top of another fetch quest across the entire galaxy, and then he gave you a droid. Um, that is a typical Star Wars move. That it so fucking is, though. <laughs> um, so you follow in his footsteps, unlocking uh, codex entries, ec- force echoes, which are basically flashbacks you get by touching things, uh, and unlocking secrets within BD-1, the droid, and uh, you get the holocron eventually. And then... No spoilers. Uh, it's, a, it's a very straightforward story, but it does tend to feel like a, a, a fetch quest, especially in the second act of the game. It and kind of... then you're exploring an ice cave, and all of a sudden there's a big bitch that they call a boss battle. That guy sucks. Yes. Um, yeah. In the second act in particular, although the, I think the planets in the second act are the more interesting ones, I think it the pacing definitely falls apart in, in just... Very, and oh, great, something else happened that's going to pull us away from the main plot. I hope nothing happens. And then, like, you know, it happened. Whatever. Um, But a lot of its emotional beats hit extremely well. Uh, In particular, the flashback sequences where you are uh, a Padawan right before the uh, Jedi Purge, you know, Order 66, all the memes, where you are remembering old Force abilities that you had learned as a Padawan, you get fucking traumatized as shit, man. Like, this game nails that. There's one of the, my favorite sequences in the game, or my favorite, like, little moment, is you, you're running down the hallways, and you, like, high-five a clone trooper, and then, like, three seconds later, they're trying to kill you. It's so good. Like, going over the Purge again has become extremely heavy-laden in Star Wars media as of late, and I would argue a lot of it is entirely unnecessary. This is easily the best time we've seen the Purge outside of Revenge of the Sith. It's so good. And I think the themes that it goes through with with Cal's survivor's guilt about his master dying and then him not being able to save people and all that sort of fun stuff, I think it's really, really good. And I think it does make Cal one of the more interesting characters, even though these stories have been laid throughout Star Wars canon a thousand other times before. I just thought for sure you were going to say, even though he's a ginger. It's also true. He is a ginger, which is (laughs) disgusting. Um, But I, I really, I think he is my favorite, like, the real reason why they were trying to purge him. <laughs> Look at the ginger baby! Kill it now! Um, yes. From this era of Star Wars storytelling, I think he's my favorite character. Uh, he is complicated, and he struggles with a lot of problems, and he has his moments, he has outbursts, he's not always in control of himself, but he is a very... He, he is a sweet boy. And he's like 19, but like whatever. He's a very kind person in general. And I think they do that very well. Whereas a lot of other Star Wars protagonists are either just diet Han Solo or like 
super mega wise and this kid's like not like a child but he's like i'm a little inexperienced and i don't know what the fuck i'm doing but like i'm going to try and he has the willpower of like the best of us and i really like that um the side characters that you meet that i won't spoil are all fucking phenomenal there's a couple of people that join your crew which i think are the best goth mommy let's go uh saw guerrera has a fantastic cameo in this i wouldn't even call it cameo i guess supporting role in this game a uh, nice little couple couple of hours spent on kashik during a revolution rebellion fighting empire and shit um free the wookies yes um i need that political sticker on my car <laughs> this de they definitely exist um so while the story does fall into some very very heavy star wars tropes i i, I think it does it better than most other star wars media and especially when you throw that on top of it being an interactable experience, really, really makes for a, a, a good, good, good experience. Experience makes for experience. You get it? Um, Do I get XP points? No. Gameplay-wise, uh, it kind of falls into a few different sections. So when the game starts off, basically a couple of hours in, you get to go to a total of five planets: uh, Bogano, Zepho, uh, Ilum. Kashyyyk, and then num 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 No, it's. I think there's the fire planet. No, fuck! What is it called? Dathomir. There we go. There's five explorable planets, and then there's the final mission. Does play take place on another one, but it's only the final mission, and that's not Mustafar. It's some other planet where the Inquisitors have their castle. Um, so a short while into the game, you are able to go to other planets to do it somewhat non-linearly. It's really hard to do that, but you can do it. Um, so it gives you some fake choice as to where you want to start your adventure, which is appreciated even if it is a fake choice. Um, and each world acts as... I, I don't really know how to describe their worlds. They're very intentionally built, and that's my most important part, is it, they're kind of open world-ish, but they're fairly small for being an open world. But they're not just levels, but they are levels by definition, because it's yeah, like they designed- more levels than open world because there's only one path to progress them. Mostly. There are some side paths you can get with other abilities, but like they're big enough, either multiple like layers of, of depth, you know, multiple floors or whatever, or enough side routes where you can, uh, by the time you're done completing a planet, you can zip and zap through in like five minutes. When in comparison to the first time you go through the planet, it takes like hours to get to the other side of it. It is very Metroidvania in that sense, which has been brought up a thousand times. Uh, the thing with that that makes it enjoyable for me as someone who appreciates Metroidvanias but doesn't actually like playing them is the mini-map just tells you when you can go somewhere else. Yes. Um, hey, that door that you couldn't open before, you can open now, and it's blinking yellow. Yes. Um, it does mean that your new abilities or upgrades act like a key instead of like a new skill, which is a little disappointing, so it does mean, wow, look, door opens now. But it's good that the map just tells you. It'll go, ooh, look, the, the, the thing over there that on the mini-map was red before, it's green. Uh, so it makes it a lot that easier. blue. No, the whole map is blue. Oh. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to backtrack, and it makes it a lot more enjoyable. What the heck is that bug? It's freaking huge. It's I don't know. I've seen a thousand of those before. It's not a mosquito. Nah, I don't know. It's not a dragonfly. It's a bug. Bug shaped bug. It's a dragon mosquito. He's come to suck your dick. 
What? Dragons are gay. Uh, Dragons are gay. (laughs) Um... So exploring the, each one of the planets, I did find to be the most enjoyable part of the experience. There are a lot of force echoes and codex entries hidden in a lot of different random places. Uh, BD1, my best baby boy, precious droid baby, little doggo, uh, can just scan everything to give you all sorts of cool dialogue and just fun shit, but it's all optional. You get little amounts of XP from exploring things like that. You can go through crevices in the wall to find a room and you're like, wow, the room is pretty. And then the droid's like, by the way, here's a fucking, you know, exposition dump if you want to read it. And I like that shit. I'm a sucker for that. Um, There are side stories in the codex entries that are written throughout, which is a really nice touch. So it's not just information. It's they're basically like journal entries, but for the character that you're following, which is nice. It's Uh, collected really well, too. It's just side by side pages. So you can actually sit there and read through the whole thing if you want to. Yes. And then there are also force echoes, which is a I forget what it's called. It's an in canon ability, whereas you touch a thing and you can feel the uh, the object's memories, basically. Um, All of my favorite characters have it. Cal Kestis has it. Ray has it. Uh, Quinlan Voss, my favorite old character that nobody knows about, has it. It's the coolest fucking thing. You're like... A gay orgy happened here. I can feel it. It just, I, I like that shit. It's super cool. And I like that that's a, not unique, but a, a lot more obscure force power. It also makes for like playing video games way more interesting. Um, it's not just picking up an audio cassette tape everywhere and then listening to it as you run down a long hallway. Yes. Um, as you explore, when you unlock new force abilities like push, pull, grab, freeze, etc., that also unlocks new areas and new challenges in the environments. I feel like those are paced fairly well. Um, they're not the most creative because they're all light side powers, but whatever, it's fine. Um, it does mean that by the time you're done exploring a planet, you can go from point A, like the one side to the other side in a few minutes, like single digit minutes. Uh, which is really fun to do when you string together all sorts of shit. Uh, while you're exploring, uh, there are a bunch of collectibles uh, and then skill points and so on. Uh, the collectibles are all just chests full of uh, lightsaber parts, lightsaber colors, ponchos, because Cowers a poncho, the drippiest shit on the planet, new skins for the ship that you fly around in, and your droid. They're all fine. I don't have many complaints. I wish there was more. I wish that they were a little better because I still end up going with default skin 99% of the time. They really do look like the same exact thing, but with different colors. They do, but I like that that's the only stuff that you have to pick up is just aesthetic collectibles. Right. Um, you, there are also chests, which are very clearly marked, where you unlock new stim packs, you know, just health boosts that BD-1 can carry, so you don't just have the one magic potion, you have the five magic potions. Those are all fine. Um, That's about it for like side collectibles. It's a good amount for my taste anyways. You find the vast majority of them while you're exploring. If you do the Metroidvania bit and you backtrack a little bit, you find nearly all of them. Like, not without trying, but like not, there's no grind for it. Even in like post story and what you're game. trying to say is that even for you it was easy to get all the collectibles yes it it i completed this on my my original walkthrough with like maybe five hours in, in the end game and i don't think i had to look anything up like that's fun it means i don't feel like i'm being 
forced to collect everything to get 100%. It's just there. Some of it's some of it is cool and useful, and most of it's just pretty colors. That's fine. Uh, the skill tree is fine. A lot of it is is story based unlocks of remembering abilities that you have forgotten because of repressed trauma and shit, which are paced very well for the story in, ten, in terms of exploration, but in terms of the skill tree, it's kind of lame. Um, it's really easy to max it out quick. Yeah, especially if you're doing... Uh, not com I, w I, I hesitate to even call it a completionist run, even though it technically is. Like, even if you're trying to get everything, you're going to blow through the skill tree most of the way through the game. Like, halfway through the game, maybe. Um, and it only unlocks unlocks new sections when you get new abilities. So it feels like you end up collecting a lot of points and then waiting for a new ability or a new part of the tree to unlock on its own. And then you can dump a bunch of skills into it, which isn't super well-paced. Um, combat. This was the biggest thing that kind of flopped for me on this playthrough. Uh, it's fine. The biggest thing for me, which I uh, I knew it originally because I think I played this directly after binging through most of the Souls games, like a moron, was, damn, it's so fucking easy. I'm so used to it. But the... Oh, it's animation based, which means that you don't have to be near enemies to hit them and they don't have to be near you to hit them and your angles don't matter and your timing barely matters because the animation has to complete before anything happens and you can't cancel animations, which if you're not in the right mind state to play with fucking sucks. If you are in the right mind state, it means everything looks cool as fucking hell and you're fly as shit though. So it's a very mixed bag on that front. The animations themselves are extremely high quality. Um, Cameron Monaghan, the actor who plays Cal, did his own motion capture and stunt work. So the, the actual animations look fan-fucking-tastic. It's just... When it, especially when it comes to critters, just wild animals, the, the animations clash really hard. And it makes fighting them more agitating and cheesing than like the actual boss battles. Or even just regular enemies, which is very fucking annoying. Mm -hmm. um, again, especially on my third playthrough now, I just, apparently I wasn't in the mind state for this because it took me another five hours to get back in the rhythm of how to even play it, which was really annoying because that's like halfway through the story. <laughs> um, when the combat. And then you're playing Seventh Sister that just kicks your ass. Yes. Um, when it does work, though, the combat is smoothish it looks really fun it's rewarding it is complex with a high enough skill ceiling but it's not impossible to get a hold of if you are new to it um the roll slash dodge and block and parry system i think works extremely well it's just one of those things where like once your muscle memory catches on to the game it's smooth as butter but just the first few hours is like Anger. Cringe inducing for me anyways on this playthrough initially didn't have that problem um, You can use your force abilities in combat and that's my the most fun part for me Especially once you get past I, about the middle of the game uh, There are so many enemy varieties just doing all sorts of crazy shit so you can freeze a force bolt in the air and that Use the force to freeze a blaster bolt, and then you can pull a stormtrooper through it. Cool as shit. I love that stuff. It's so much fun. The power fantasy is very real, but not overwhelmingly, like, no challenge to it. Even in endgame, when you're used to everything, everything still poses a level of challenge. You send people's rockets back towards them. 
you know, that stuff is all fan-fucking-tastic. It's a very I... simple combat loop, but it does flounder towards the end of end of Act 1, early Act 2, just because there aren't enough new enemies introduced to spice things up. I always like the ability of having uh, the, the heavy gunner with the shield being like, you can't beat me, and just force push them off the cliff. That's usually what I like, do. F you. It's fun. Yes. Um, the enemy variety, I do like. That seems to be, a, I guess, a hot take. Apparently, a lot of people didn't feel like the enemies were well differentiated enough. Um, I think they're fine. Uh, the big thing is that on all difficulties, your lightsaber does the same amount of damage. It's the key reason why this game works for co me combat-wise. You, If you play on basically story mode versus Jedi Grandmaster, you can kill a regular stormtrooper in one hit with your lightsaber doesn't matter what difficulty you're on it just changes the amount of time you have to block or parry and how much damage enemies do it keeps them from being damage sponges which is really fucking important um another reason i don't want to play elden ring during uh different portions of the game as well you unlock a dual-sided lightsaber which is better for crowd control and like area of effect damage which is good if there's a bajillion guys on your ass um it does have a fairly limited like move set i find myself flipping back to single blade very frequently um and then later in the game you get to disconnect all double blade to make two lightsabers honestly I, I hated that that ability came way so late in the game because i never used it i agree and that's one of the reasons I'm really looking forward to the sequel is because apparently it's pretty early on and they developed a much larger skill set for it. Yeah. Because it's really cool and it's basically unlocked with like one trigger press when you're in the middle of attacking somebody and that's really fucking cool. But yeah, by the time you're using it, it's you're just chewing through people like crazy. So it doesn't help much. It just makes it look flashy. Um, customization is all fine. Um, I have mixed feelings in terms of how lightsabers function. I like that lightsaber colors and parts are all just aesthetic, but also you can't really see the lightsaber because it's in your hand, so it doesn't really matter. Um, and the colors are all pretty and that's fine. Um, I kind of wish that they would make them stat relevant. Not a lot, but like if you can't see your lightsaber anyways, like unless you pull it. Like if if you the, if you keep blade colors to just be aesthetic, and then maybe the type of alloy that your lightsaber is, so basically the general hues of the metal, you know, is tied to some minor stat boost. It would mean that you have a god ugly lightsaber, but it's got the best stats, or vice versa, or whatever. Like, I just, something because it does make the changing your lightsaber feel really arbitrary. Like it's fine. It the actual customizer looks really good. It's very shiny. It's very fun. But like. It doesn't do anything for the gameplay. So, like, that's a... Either way, there's going to be problems. If your your skins, basically, are, like, stat-relevant, it, it's going to turn into Assassin's Creed Unity, <laughs> which would suck. But also, it only being aesthetic means that you don't feel like you have a lot of control over a lot of the game. So, I'm, I, don't, I, I don't know if there's a better option there. It's just a little frustrating. Uh, boss battles are kind of a mixed bag. Uh, some of them, I think, are fairly well designed. The second sister, the main antagonist of the game, has multiple encounters, which are mostly she comes in, wrecks you, the f like just completely murks you the hell out. But conceivably, you could have actually gotten a counter hit in. It doesn't cheese the fight. It just, you just do not have the skills to fight her yet, which is cool. Um, her, the, her actual final fight, though, does fucking suck. 
Not because it doesn't look cool and it doesn't perform well, but because there's a couple of very stupid decisions they made with some of her attacks that just make them like unblockable and she can one hit you on higher difficulties. It just gets really, really frustrating. That's how Sekiro plays. Yeah, I got stuck on that bot that that battle on every playthrough, even though it's really fun when it you remember how it works. But just there's a couple of things that you get you can get really tripped up on. Um, some of the other bosses are very bland. There's a giant bat creature on Dathomir that barely functions as a boss fight. It's really clunky. The camera angles fucking suck. Um, the seventh sister, I believe, is the one of the other uh, secondary antagonists. The big tank one. The big tank one. Best boss. Best boss. Best, blah, 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 best boss battle of the game. Except for one that happens on on Dathomir that I don't want to talk about because that's pretty heavy spoilers. That section of the game is my favorite. That that lightsaber fight is peak. Side tangent, real quick. There is a prequel comic book which I also read. It's okay. Um, it is Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, uh, what the fuck is it called? The prequel comic. Yeah, it's a prequel comic. Jedi Fall. I don't even remember what the hell its name is. Dark Temple. It's a prequel that follows Sir Junda as a Padawan and her, uh, master, blah, 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 Cordova. I don't remember his first name. Uh, mostly just kind of on a side adventure, just what was their dynamic like? It's literally Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. It's just, it's the exact same dynamic, but that's my favorite dynamic in all of Star Wars. So. Toyota, Cordova. <laughs> Come on, it was a funny joke. Duh, Toyota. <laughs> it's literally like Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. But I like that, so it's fine. Um, the art was actually really good for... <laughs> a lot of the Star Wars books have really lazy art in the Marvel Disney era. A lot of them have really good stories, but some of the art's very disappointing. Um, and I thought that this stuff was really good. So uh, it's illustrated by Paolo Vin Villanelli, I think is how you say his name. Um, I talked about, damn your bill. Uh, I talked about this on our other show, Dime Comic Bros, like two years ago, around when the book came out. I liked it then, I like it now. It was worth the reread. -re -re it's five issues, fairly brief. Um, the art's, like I said, very good, very flashy. A lot of... <clears throat> multiple panels within a panel. So say you have a big room full of bad guys, and then it'll have little mini panels of the Jedi attacking them, but in because they're fast. You know? I like that sort of stuff. It's like you see it in a lot in superhero comics, like a Nightwing book, for instance, but it works really well here. Um, there is a framing device that I really don't like. It's the exact same problem I had with the Rise of Kylo Ren book, which is also one of the better, like, Star Wars canon books. But it has to be like, the whole book is a flashback, actually, of this other character. And I, it really fucks with the pacing, and it's just annoying. Because I want to be able to just read that, like, even though I know the context, I want to just pick this up and not be sequel baited into playing the game. It should tell me that you can follow these characters later, but like it frames the whole thing in a way that makes it really awkward. Mm. Um, even though those sections look better than the main book, I, it's the same artist, it's just different color palettes and different textures. Um, it's written by Matthew Rosenberg. I wouldn't know that by reading it. I read a decent chunk of Matthew Rosenberg's books. He's a good writer. I like. I follow his substack. He's a cool guy. But... This did, did nothing about the writing really stuck out. It's them going on a side quest and doing Jedi diplomatic shit. Don't be so angry. Listen to all these people. Do the diplomacy stuff. That's about it. It's pretty par for the course. But the art was, I think, a little bit better than normal. So 
I don't know, 7 out of 10, maybe, for that. I picked it up for normal Marvel cover price, so like 15 bucks. Bit steep, like with any Marvel book, but it's okay. Uh, on the whole, 2019 had a lot of really, really, really good games. Like, a lot of people's favorite games came out that year. And this game made it onto those lists, and I don't think it doesn't warrant it, but I definitely think it was the weakest of all the good games of 2019. Like, the that big you'll remember these in 10 years games, it's the bottom of that list. It's really good. It's fairly well polished. Um, my biggest problem with this. New Game Plus is entirely useless. It was released post-launch as well, alongside a couple of more like arena, you know, you fight a bunch of bad guys and avoid things, whatever, and a couple of skins. Cool, good for you you still unlock all your abilities as the story goes on. So you can't break the game, which defeats the purpose of New Game Plus. Why the fuck would I do? Why don't I just start a new save already? Because it means as I, I'm playing through, all the chests are already opened. I'm still getting XP from unlocking codex entries because I have to level up, because I have to unlock the abilities, because they're all still story locked. Like, what the fuck? Insanely frustrating for a third playthrough. I played this one on this playthrough for my replay on Jedi Master. So it's the third out of four difficulties moving upwards. So it's hard mode, but not mega super hard mode. Uh, I think I had about 13 or 14 hours in total um, because I didn't do any side exploration at all. Because as soon as I started it and I went, oh, fuck. So it's an entirely pointless thing. And New Game Plus was was released after launch. So what? Why? 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 Why was this real? Why was this a patch? And it sucks. The fuck? I don't know. I think moving forward, this will be a very good series, though. I have yet to play Jedi Survivor. I'm looking forward to it. It's been out for a few months now. I'm playing it fairly soon for this show. And I think this is a good basis to build a lot of things off of. I just think they really need to work on integrating the elements better. I don't even remember how much I bought it for. I bought this ages ago. Great game. You know what else is great? Our patrons. Over I never at, at patreon.com forward slash dime comic bros network. They give us money. That way we can buy the games to talk about the games and provide content for your ear holes. It's Give good. us the money. Please. I will hold a gun to your head. Oh, you've heard of Patreon? Name every Patreon creator. <laughs> Alphabetically, backwards. On our Patreon, we have a bunch of really cool rewards. At least I think they're cool. We have plenty of stickers, bookmarks. We have exclusive and early content. We release other segments of our other shows on Dare. All our podcasts are up early. All the stuff you'd expect from a Patreon, but I like our stuff, so I think it's well worth the value. Uh, you can also get your name shouted out, so we owe a thank you to Jeff Lorenz and Caitlin, who continue to support us with their monies. Thank you very much. Also, we thank you to Jetpack Comics and Games in downtown Rochester, New Hampshire. This is not our primary show. Most of the time, we are talking about comic books or things of that nature. And we like to support our, our local comic book shops. Comics is kind of a dying industry, and local business is cool. So why not do both at the same time and go to Jetpack Comics and Games and give them your money for the comic books? Just saying. 
Strong suggestion. Next month is spooky month. It's spooktober, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. We will be discussing... Yeah? Dead Space. The yeah. original. Both of us. At the same time. And then after that, just because we like spooktober, is the Dead Space remake. Yes. November, November is also spooktober. Yes. There are 60 days in spooktober. Spoopy. Sorry. 61, actually. Math. Wow. Math. Thank you for listening. Tune in next week, next month, next year. No. Nope. Forever. Not quite. Forever. Okay. Cock. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I'm the only guy at your TED Talk. Thank you very much. <laughs> go for it. We go for it. We do weed. You're leaning into it. Weed. 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 Smoke weed. Snort no. weed. No. Yes. Do not. You are not supposed to smoke the weed. You are allowed to eat the weed. Just pluck the dandelions and put them in your mouth. Put it up your ass and then light it on fire. <clears throat> that would work. Probably would. I mean, we used to put it up our noses and light it on fire way back when. That's that's how that's how natives discovered cannabis. Was was by <laughs> and then lighting it on fire because then you could just breathe right right in and out. Which why wouldn't they just put it inside of a traffic cone and light it that way? I don't think Native Americans had traffic cones yet. Sounds like bullshit. Maybe.